and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast coming to you from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Greg Heilman. And I'm Matt Haver. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Since 2020, we've been bringing you entertainment news and views, celebrating classic Hollywood, enjoying cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interviewing talented local actors and directors, and chatting with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K. Welcome to episode 68, the second in a two-part interview with Tara Moses. Today is November 18th, 2022, and this month is National Native American Heritage Month. To celebrate, we sat down last week with Tara, who is a passionate supporter of Native representation and youth in the arts. She's also a multi-award-winning playwright, a director, actor, dramaturge, the artistic director of Red Eagle Soaring Theater in Seattle, a co-founder of Groundwater Arts, and a citizen of the Seminole Nation of Oklahoma. As a director, Tara's work has been seen in theaters in South Dakota, Rhode Island, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Oklahoma, and Georgia. As a playwright, she's the winner of the 2019 Native Storytellers Contest, a 2020 and 21 finalist for the National Playwrights Conference, and the 2019 Native American New Play Festival winner. And her plays have been produced and or developed all over the country. Her plays have also been taught and or currently in the curriculum at Brown University, the University of Arkansas, the University of Arizona, UCLA, Oklahoma City University, Northeastern State University, and the University of Washington. She is currently commissioned by Audible, Yale Indigenous Performing Arts Program, Company One Theater, Alter Theater Ensemble, Kitchen Dog Theater, the new now commission with Laura Gunderson, Jiva Theater Center, Red Bull Theater, and Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Tara is an MFA candidate in directing at Brown University Trinity Rep and holds a BA in theater from the University of Tulsa. Along with all the other hats she wears, she's also a consultant and beadwork artist and somehow still found the time to join us. And she did so from her home on Narragansett Land, or what is colonially known as Providence, Rhode Island. We hope you enjoy part two of our interview with Tara Moses. You, you are definitely a, a force of nature, and I can see where you know, the drive and dedication and work ethic are, are definitely things that any of the youth that you work with would look up to. But, but let's flip that around. Who, who do you look up to? Who are some of the artists and actors that, uh, that you admire or look to for inspiration? Yeah, so I joke, Madeline Sayet, everything she does, I do two years later. Like, that's my goal. <laughs> you know, I like I found out she existed, and I found out she was directing a reading in Arkansas. And I was like, ooh, that's only two hours away. I'm going to drive there. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to introduce myself to her. And I was like, I want to grow up to be you. And now we've worked together. We're close friends. We're in a group chat. Like, you know, I just bought a bunch of gifts for her because she couldn't physically go to the store. Like, we're good friends. <laughs> but Madeline Sayet, for sure, you know, I mean, just like the work she creates is the kind of work that I want to do. Uh, and aspire to continue to do, and she continues to inspire me to this day. You know, Delena Studi, I mean, she's been out here, especially in LA, which is, oh, don't even get me started, um, you know, but which is a whole different animal when it comes to being a Native artist, trying to tell your stories and make your way. Um, and she's been, you know, doing that for decades. I was first inspired by Irene Bernard, you know, because I saw smoke signals, and I was like, who is this, this Native woman out here? And she's like, so powerful. What is it? And then learned about her career. I'm so inspired by the playwright Mary Catherine Nagel. She's, again, she was the first Native play on a Lord's stage of sovereignty. And, you know, I worked on the development of it at Arena. I flew back in. I was very poor, but I flew back in uh, to D.C. to watch the, the opening of that show. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg was there. It was wild. Anyway, but, like, she is also a Supreme Court lawyer. Like, she's a lawyer. Argues like a Supreme Court all the time. You know, and so she's my huge inspiration of, you know, working and writing, directing, creating, like I'm running out of time because she does so much. And it's all in pursuit of bettering our larger Native communities as well as her own Cherokee Nation. 
Uh, so I really look up to Mary Catherine for how she's able to stay so centered on her advocacy, both as a lawyer and as a playwright. Oh my gosh, Muriel Miguel with Spider-Woman Theater, Muriel Tarrant, with Safe, Woman, uh, Safe Harbors Indigenous Collective out in New York City. Again, they were like the cornerstones of Native theater. They've been doing this since like the 60s, 70s. They were the first ones to do it. You know, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for them. And, you know, and I just saw Muriel Miguel on Sunday. And every time it's like a celebrity and she's like, I know you now. I was like, I know, but still. But yeah, yeah. And short, long list. But I think we'll leave it there. Muriel Miguel is a great person to end on. <laughs> Well, it's pretty cool because last, let's see, a week ago Monday, so November 1st, the first day of National Native American Heritage Month, you got a chance to interact with Delana Studi. Uh, she moderated the Reclaiming the Stage event that uh, that I attended online. And now, of course, she's best known probably for Dreamkeeper, Shameless. Uh, most recently, she she had a role in the FX hit Reservation Dogs on Hulu, which is hilarious. Everybody needs to, and, and hilarious and also very heartfelt. Uh, I'm going to say that. Yeah. And everybody needs to check out Res Dogs. Yo, that's my family. Yo, Sterling and I are related. Everybody watch Rest Dogs. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs to. But you've also got things like, uh, re you know, recent release on Hulu, like Prey, the, new, the you know, the latest yeah. in, the, in the Predator line of films. They're getting a lot of media attention for their native cast and crews and their writers and consultants. Imagine that, you know. <laughs> and even in the case of Prey, being part of the Predator franchise, outlandish story, but the historical accuracy of the people that are that are shown. Do you think things are beginning to change? You're talking about working towards the next generation. Are things starting to change in Hollywood? And I mean, what about Broadway? What about on the stage side? I would argue that the theater is doing a little better, but not by much. So unfortunately, a lot of these big Hollywood projects, not Prey, um, which I was shocked by, frankly, but a lot of those big Hollywood projects are bringing in people who uh, still practice red face. So these are individuals who are not Native, who be playing Native roles. I mean, Taylor Lautner is not Native, fun fact, because you all didn't know. And so there's still a lot of red face issues that happen. There's still, like, for example, with Prey, it was written by a white man. It was directed by a white man. And I have, you know, dear Comanche friends and scholars who I look to, and they're like, yeah, a lot of this was accurate, but not everything. Absolutely not everything was. It's slow. It's hard, you know? I mean, there's still so many TV shows and films where they think just having a consultant's good enough, but not giving them really any power and agency. I've heard as a consultant many times, and I'm like, yo, this is straight up wrong. And I know because I'm Seminole Muskogee, and I can tell you right now, this is not right. Anyway, and they're like, okay, well, thank you for your opinion. Uh, here's your money. Goodbye. So it's still almost kind of tokenism in a way, but it just is. maybe maybe not on screen, but it's, you know, it's, well, we checked the box and yeah. what, so a, while what a shame. So while they're doing better on screen, they're doing better in writers' rooms in regards to like who are the true power holders, you know, with the exception of Reservation Dogs and Rutherford Falls, which hopefully they can find a new home after a Peacock canceled them. It's still so, so, so rare. Like the fact I can only think of two native TV shows and, you know, and I would even argue that, you know, Rutherford Falls doesn't have as much like native and indigenous power in the room like Reservation Dogs does. But the fact that I can only name two is a lot, you know, and I had, um, can I say this? I, hypothetically speaking, may or may not, currently be in the process of writing uh, what may or may not be some type of series on some major network, you know? Anyway, <laughs> we we may or may not have heard that clearly. And of course, but we will be paying close attention to your website. <laughs> if this ep if and, this episode mysteriously vanishes yes, sir, in yeah. a couple of weeks, we'll know what happened. And when and when that <laughs> potentially does or does not become a big hit, please do or don't remember Heilman and Haver. Right, right. Um, oh my god. <laughs> but so to say, like I was approached for a very specific reason 
with my very specific background. And I think, you know, other than reservation dogs, you know, as I was talking to other folks in the industry, that's been one of the first times where like someone like me is brought in for a very specific cultural piece of it, you know, because a lot of times like we're bringing in native writers. We love it. Yes, 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 yes. But we also still need cultural consultants because like, for example, for Prey, yeah, they had Comanche cultural consultants uh, and also to help with the language. And like, yeah, we had all these native actors, but they weren't Comanche. It's we still need to have those consultants. And so this is one of the first times where there's a specific piece around um, one of my tribes. I'm trying to be like, Tara, don't get in trouble. Anyway, one of my tribes, you know, and like that's rare outside of reservation dogs. Uh, And so like I feel really empowered and really excited by that. And again, just for how rare it is that even the executives and the showrunner are all so excited about it because that doesn't happen. Anyway, so, I mean, it's progress. I'm here to celebrate all of the things that deserve celebrating, like Prey, Rutherford Falls, and Reservation Dogs, and also to remain critical because tribal sovereignty is the key of all, is at the root of all of this. Um, Everything that we do as artists need to be in pursuit of getting our land back as well as recognizing our sovereignty. And that includes ensuring actual authenticity in these roles and opportunities. But yeah, and I will say the theater has done a little bit better, but we're not much better. Because again, since it doesn't have usually as much as like a heavy commercial influence like TV and film does, we're able to still stay like, oh, we're artists, you know? And then with, you know, with Broadway, they're trying, trying, you know? But I mean, they putting up things like Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, you know, they putting up things, you know, that still deal with like natives dying, right? Like I'm thrilled that Larissa Fasthorse is going to be the first native woman on Broadway like playwright, like, yes, finally. And I'm also holding that the, that play is for white people. And so it's not giving opportunity to Native artists and, you know, and I, uh, to Native actors specifically. Um, you know, I sincerely hope that there's Natives who are involved in the creative team, behind stage, all over the place. And I know, and, you know, knowing Larissa's dedication also to community, I know, like, lots of work is happening in that way. You know, I look forward to the day where we have all Native design teams, a Native director, Native playwright, all Native cast making its way to Broadway. I'm also working on a commercial musical. Again, I can't talk too much about it. But anyway, but so to say, uh, I'm not the only Native on the creative team, thank goodness. Um, But it is a mixed creative team. And the cast is also mixed, you know. It's not exclusively Native. And it still has a lot of the educational overtones to it. Hence why it's going to be picked up commercially, you know. So I long for those days, and I think those days are coming sooner than they are in TV and film. Well, I hope they both come quickly where we can have full power and agency and autonomy strictly within Indigenous peoples. That's what I'm waiting for. We're getting there slowly but surely. You know, there's artists like myself as a playwright who have inclusion writers that say only Natives can direct my work. That's happened many a time. Some theaters say, well, we don't, we're not going to do that. And I was like, well, you're not going to do my play. So I'm going to lose an opportunity. That's fine. You know, I'm committed to authenticity and throwing it back. And then there's been other theaters who've been great. And they're like, okay, great. We're going to postpone your play by a few months so we can do the work to find a Native uh, director in our community. That's great. And I'm like, great. And then they've done it. And it's been amazing. And then now that Native director is doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And that's uh, you standing your ground, you know. But I think, you know, from the Hollywood perspective, especially, until we have executives that are yeah. willing to stand their ground. I, re- I remember when the first Black Panther was released and everybody in sales and marketing said that, hey, you can't release this because China isn't going to accept a black superhero. Well, 
Bob Iger stood his ground and said, hey, this is an important story to tell. We need to do it regardless of what happens over there. And I think we need executives that take that position for native products as well. And then also not just the products, but the inclusive crews and casts and things like that, regardless of what they think is going to happen financially. Yeah. I mean, I think Reservation Dogs is a wonderful example of that. I mean, Taika Waititi, I mean, also, you know, he is indigenous, um, <laughs> you know, has been such a wonderful advocate. And like in Reservation Dogs has been such a like beautiful, authentic representation of the Muskogee Creek Reservation. Like that's where I'm from. Those are my people. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is still further it needs to go. There needs to be more inclusion specifically of like Black Muskogee people. We have a lot of them you know, a lot of family and it's like, why are they not being represented? Like there's still so much work that needs to be done anyway. So again, holding two truths at the same time, but again, but that kind of advocacy is seen so clearly with the creative team, producerial team, all of the crew and casting for like that show. So again, they can do it. It can be done. It's been done for many, many other shows and many, many other communities like y'all. It ain't hard. We ain't inventing nothing. Next question. It's kind of two sides of the same coin, but uh, on the one hand, how can consumers like us, folks who are maybe I'm, I personally am native, but those who aren't native, how can how can every all of us advocate for more projects like this and support them? I mean, you can obviously you know vote with your remote, what you're watching, you know, all that data is being logged somewhere. Uh, and then on the on the other side of that, youth, you know, native youth, what can they? Because obviously we need people in these jobs. I guess maybe yeah. the simple advice would be go into the performing arts. Let's just start there. But what, what advice would you have for those two groups? For Native youth, and as well as for Native folks who aren't youth, but want to be in, in the field, what has benefited me so much is reaching out to like Mary Catherine Nagel. I reached out to Madeline Sayed. I reached out to Delana Sudi. You know, reach out to people who I admire and ask for their guidance and their mentorship. And they've given it to me. And I've done the same. And so like my number one thing is like Native folks who want to be part of this, reach out to who you admire, like, and they will, <laughs> like, from my own experience, and as well as like me, myself, I respond to every email I ever receive from any Native person, and always give them ample amounts of time, you know, it's never, it's never an issue, it's never transactional, like, you know, we're just rela relations, that's how we go. And as well as too, it's is that learning about like, the possibilities there exist in this industry, you know, not everybody needs to be an actor. Not everybody needs to be a writer. Not everybody needs to be a director. Uh, we need administrators. Like if you love working a nine to five, doing admin work and like not have to get your, home, your work home with you, go into administrative work in the arts. You know, we need those folks. If you love working retail, like we need box office people. Like go do that in the arts, right? And like, there's so many jobs. Well, like Greg said, we need executives, study business, yeah. and then just, study you know, business. and then target the arts, right? Exactly. So many. Oh my gosh. Like you identify from Terry from Weatherford Falls, like, yo, take that business degree and <laughs> go be a boss <laughs> you know, uh, at Paramount, you know, or something. Um, yeah. Like, I think that there's such a huge realm of opportunity within the arts as a whole, but especially like within stage and screen that a lot of people don't think about, you know, it's like, you like working with your hands. You like to be a woodworker, you know, you can be a carpenter on a set, right? You can be involved in the theater and the shops, right? There's so many ways. So that's what I would say for native people is like number one mentorship, seek it out and it will be provided. Like, I don't know a single person who's ever said, no, I've even reached out to Larissa, you know, she real fancy. 
Um, and she's always responded. And not just to me, but even to like other students, you know, we all love to give back. And then as well as like think widely about the diverse opportunities within the arts and that any job you can find in any industry, it exists in the arts. Like you want to be a lawyer? We need more entertainment lawyers who are native. Like by all mm, means. Yeah. Be my entertainment lawyer. The one I got right now, he's great and all, but you know, he's a white man. I would love to have a native one. <laughs> I will hire him in a minute. Um, I'm just he's great, don't hire me. Um, but also if there's a native one, I'll take you. Um <laughs> and then for non-natives, yeah. I mean, I love that book with your remote. How fun. But also like be loud and be proud about what you like to watch, you know? I mean, the Twitter, I love Twitter anyway, but like, you know, the Twitter machine, I know Elon just bought it. I know it's a top button topic, but you know, but Instagram, you know, being really loud publicly, uh, getting your friends and family to watch, you know, I mean, that's just the same thing when it comes to dismantling white supremacy is, is that if people of color could have dismantled it, we would have done been done by now. You know, I was like, it relies on white folk going to their people and be like, Hey, you need to also watch this or like, you know, hey, you also need to be loud and, loud and proud about this. Or, hey, you need to add your voice to this chorus of folks who are upset that a non-Native person was hired to play a Native role. You know, you need to like educate uh, yourselves and then be able to alleviate that burden off of like Native people. And I mean, you know, frankly, all folks who are not white, but in this case, you know, Native people is what you can do. I mean, and also furthermore, Throw your money at it, like physical money, not just your remote. Like you can donate to artists directly, but like, you know, Ready Go Soaring, you can donate to yeah. Native Voice Country, you can donate to New Native Theater in Minneapolis, you can donate to Safe Harbors Indigenous Collective, Spider Woman Theater, those are in New York City. Um, you can donate to Oklahoma Indigenous Theater Company, um, you know, like giving folks um, more money to sustain themselves. Uh, go see their works, go see their plays. Um, so many things are streaming, buy a streaming ticket. Uh, if you want to be a real great ally, buy a lot of tickets in a, in a theater doing a Native work and you don't live there. Like, you can't go. Buy a bunch of tickets. You know what that's going to do? Put money into that theater and let them know, hey, this is actually marketably viable. Also, if you can go, go, go. You know what I mean? I've done that before. Like, I bought tickets to Native friend of mine shows. I'm living in Oklahoma and they're like teeny tiny theaters in New York trying to get more stuff. I was like, I bought tickets knowing I couldn't go. I mean, I do love the streaming options. More theaters should do that, but that's a different accessibility conversation. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's like so many ways. And then like, I think finally, if you're like a non-native theater maker, um, but specifically like if you're a, um, a theater maker that's like descendant of colonizers and or are a settler, reevaluating your idea of like what your definition of what is good theater or what is theater because again, a lot of Native artists write within their cultural condition, their cultural traditions, and also the standard of how we judge quote unquote good is based off of a Eurocentric model of theater, like the pretty picture boxes off of the three act dramatic structure, this and the other thing is rooted in a Eurocentric tradition, not saying that's good or bad or wrong or, or right, but it's rooted in that. So if we can like, like decolonize, well, specifically for non-Indigenous people, uncolonized, there's a difference, but anyway. If we can uncolonize how we view good in regards to like artistic excellence, then we're only going to be able to open the door for more people and more opportunities. Oh, just start with that awareness. Yeah. For a slow, yeah. So show selection, you know, the people you bring in, all of that. Yeah. You don't have to understand every little thing that's happening. You don't have to understand every single word that's spoken and advocate for it. You know, my favorite thing to do is go to a play um, that's, you know, written by, directed by, is about people's in histories that are not mine, that I do not share, in languages I do not speak or understand, and leaving the theater just advocating for it, you know? 
even if it wasn't my cup of tea, even if I didn't, it wasn't for me, you know, I was like, that's what storytelling is supposed to be is a communal experience. And I was invited into it. Um, and so I just wish um, my biggest wish, well, lots of wishes, but one of my biggest wishes uh, for non-natives experiencing native theater is to go in with that level of like grace and humility and also know like, you don't gotta know what's going on. Don't worry about why there's so many spirits in the play. You know, don't worry about it. <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> to me, I mean, good theater is a lot of things, but it's one of the things is it makes you think. And, you know, I, I don't want to keep coming back to Madeline's Where We Belong, but... Uh, we can, all day long. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's it. let's go back to that. Um, but no, so I think because none of this stuff that you're talking about is ever taught in our history books. No. Because, you know, white-led you know, corporations are dictated. There's a whole other conversation about that. But I learned more in that show about what she went through, but not just what she went through, but what her people went through, the loss of language and... It made me look at museums completely differently because here I am walking through a museum and I, a museum and I'm thinking, oh, these are cool artifacts. I'm learning something, but not really even thinking about where they came from, how they were acquired, things like that. And she delivered it in such a non-preachy, entertaining, educational way, for lack of you know, I don't know more superlatives. But yeah. I, I think to keep that open mind, I think that's really important that your perspective is not the only perspective. Whether it's right or wrong, they're different perspectives, and, and an open mind is, is really important. And to have more shows like that that we can learn from, take things away from, and can inform the rest of our lives and maybe help us be better humans is just amazing. Yes. Ah, that's why Where We Belong is so good. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, how can our audience best keep up with you and your projects? You're on social media. Talk about yeah. Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Tara Tomahawk, one word. I like alliteration, you know. Had that for years. It's not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> uh, my website is taramoses.com, real easy. I don't update it as often as I should. Luckily, my assistant does that more than I do. Anyway, but I'm working on it. So usually on the like what's coming up page, I usually have like six months at a time anyway to keep up there. But frankly, Twitter and Instagram is the way um, to keep up. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll have a newsletter. People keep asking me about that. Do people have a newsletter still? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. If I ever, you know what? If I ever have a newsletter, you'll know from Twitter and Instagram. I'll tell you there. <laughs> so that's the starting point. Well, we'll get all that. Well, I'll get all that linked in the show notes. Uh, Tara, this has been, this has been a blast and, and so educational. You are lovely. And we are so pleased with the work you're doing here in Seattle and all across the country. I hope that this episode specifically can be used just to, to educate our audience and, uh, and to really make them think. And November is a special month, but really, uh, for me and a lot of people, for you, I know, uh, it's always Native American Heritage Appreciation Month in this country, so in this continent. So something to think about, and it sounds like the work you're doing is making people think, and like Greg said, that's what theater is all about, entertain and uh, maybe teach people a little, little, little thing or two. So thank you again for your time. You're a very accomplished and busy person, and we appreciate this hour you spent, and keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all so much. Thank you, Tara. Well, thank you again to our guest, Tara Moses. You can keep up with her at taramoses.com and on Instagram and Twitter at at Tara Tomahawk. All linked, of course, in the show notes. And if you enjoyed episode 68, please make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend or two. You can find all the latest on heilmanandhaver.com along with all of our past episodes, Greg's stage reviews, and popular segments like Get to Know a Theater, In the Mix, and Behind the Seeds Artist Interviews. As always, thank you for supporting your local theater and for joining us here on Heilman & Haver.